Out Podcast. Um, this is Ethan Hunley here with uh, Michael Badger. Um, Truth Through the Out Podcast is a um, is part of an apologetics ministry uh, where you know we seek to provide answers, uh, biblical answers to questions of the faith, and uh, that's what the podcast is about. Um, and hopefully, we also have a little bit of fun with it. So. What's up, Michael? Yeah, How man. Yeah, I'm doing good. You knocked that out of the park. Yeah. So for those of you unaware, right. which is everyone listening to this <laughs> podcast because they don't know, uh, oh. you did the intro because I just spent like probably way too long trying to do an intro and I messed up every time. You're, you're the much more well-spoken person. though. That is not is true at all. It's so strange because when we start these podcasts, we've talked about this. I get so nervous at the beginning of it. Like, yeah. my heart flutters, and it's always the intro, but then when we actually start talking... You get into the rhythm. It's like, yeah, 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 you get into the rhythm of it. Yeah. So, but yeah, I'm doing good, man. Did cool. you say Dr. Ethan Hunley, by the no, way? No, I didn't. Inter- I said... <laughs> You're supposed to say well, Dr. Ethan Hunley. Well, I, you know, since I started the the uh, introduction... Right. You can do whatever whatever you want. Try right? Play by my own rules. That's right. Well, okay, so we wanted to start this podcast with just... just having fun hanging out before we get into like the deeper deeper topics <laughs> and whatnot so y- you said that you had some just like random stuff we could talk about yes. and i said surprise me with it and we're gonna find out if that was a good idea or not okay topic one and uh-huh. i don't i don't know if this came out earlier today or yesterday yeah but the new aladdin trailer oh with yeah. will smith in it mm-hmm. what are your opinions i so i love will smith and also the fact that the girl playing uh, Jasmine was a Pink Ranger on in the Power Rangers movie, like that's awesome. Oh, that's right. Because, I forgot about yeah, that. It's Power Rangers. I forgot awesome. about that. Uh, so happy about all of the casting stuff. And again, I like Will Smith, but like, did you see the Blue Genie? Yeah. It, yeah. The CG looks really weird. That's know. my only thing. I mean, he's he's pretty like jacked in it. Yeah. Um, well, but, Will Smith is pretty jacked. Yeah. That's true. That's true. But I don't know. I mean. It's just such a chain from Robin Williams. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Which, uh, truthfully, I'm not sure anyone could really live up to the whole Robin Williams yeah. thing. But I don't know. Who would who would you cast if, you, if it wasn't Will Smith? Who would I cast as the yes. genie? Uh, that's a really good question. I would cast Dick Van Dyke, I think. He's like 80 now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It just seems fun. Although. Why not Dick Van Dyke? <laughs> They could CG his body <laughs> oh and make gosh. it look like he's jacked too. Oh, uh, I, I think I would agree with you. Like back in the like like the Dick Van Dyke show. Yeah, Dick Van yeah. Dyke. He's like super genie. Although know. although I've read that I've read that he was he was a drunk on a lot of those shows actually. He was what drunk? No, really. I don't know if that's true or not. Oh, if that would Dick be Van Dyke super is sad. Right now maybe he could call us and let us know. But right, <laughs> I don't think we have to worry about that. Uh, um. Yeah. No. I. So I have a. The perfect, which I mean, it's the it's the best go to. Uh-huh. The uh, 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 Jim Carrey. Oh yeah, that would have yeah. been good. Yeah, I mean, he was such a perfect Grinch. Right. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, that's a really good one. I think Jim Carrey would have been good. Yeah, Jim Carrey would have been really good. Okay. We knocked that question out of the park. Did yeah. you have another random one too? Sure. Why not? Um, did you? Well, I don't think you did because Kayla was sick. Kayla, being your wife. Yeah. Right. Um, I don't think we said that in the last podcast. I mentioned Lacey, who was my wife. You mentioned Kayla, who is your wife. We didn't say that there are wives. Oh, no. So, in case whoever was listening is listening and doesn't know that, that's who these random names are. Um, so, the Grammys were, what, last night? Was it last night? Y- wow. Yeah. Yeah, today's Monday. Okay. Wow. It seems like more time has passed. That's odd. Um, couple of big winners. Yeah. So. I have no idea. So, uh, uh, Lauren Daigle. Oh, right, yeah. She yeah. won two. She won yeah. two. Yeah. yeah. So really excited about that. Right. Um, Lacey grew up with Lauren, so we were pumped for her. Right. Um, and then uh, we were also big fans of Casey Musgrave. Musgrove? Musgraves? I think it's Musgraves. I've never heard of Clearly, her. Clearly, Lacey's it... a little bit larger of a fan than I am. I still really like her music. Though. Gotcha. Um, so she's a country artist, uh-huh. but it's like smooth, chill. I don't know. Okay. It's really good. Yeah. Um, her... Album or song won one of the country Grammys. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I know next to nothing about music. So I, when I was, this has nothing to do with the Grammys, so I'm sorry. No. But when I was, when I was younger, I, I tried to start learning how to play the guitar. 
Uh, and by trying to learn, I mean, I took my guitar that my mom got me for Christmas one year to the back porch and without trying to like look up chords or like strum patterns or anything like that, I just like started like just banging out some random noises. You just went for noises. the straight raw talent. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, it's not that hard. It's like five strings. That's nothing. I got, I got five fingers. No problem. Uh, and it was just awful noise. And I was like, eh, maybe this isn't for me. But, but I also learned, so I've got like, not the biggest hands and like, it's hard for me to like reach all the chords. And then like, especially when, what's it called? When you hold down like all of the strings. A bar chord. Yeah. Like, so the, the tips of my fingers are like floppy when, when I try to like hold things down and it like Wait, no strength what? right there. Like, look, well, you, for those of you who can't see, I'm like trying to explain when I hold down. I'm really weirded out right, right now. Right. Yeah. Like, I can't hold down all the strings because, like, I have, like, no, like, muscle there. It just, like, like kind of like, flops. Like, you can't. Yeah. How weird. I know. It's been a struggle. Life has been hard. But anyway. When you make a fist, are your hands just. No, I can make it. I can make a fist. Okay. So that's, that's no problem. Okay. But anyway, so, like, I, I was just like, well, I can't do that. So what's the be best next thing? And I was like. Ukulele. It's like the same as a guitar, but just smaller strings. Yeah, and I actually started to do a little little uh, uke things. People in the so you know how to play yeah, the ukulele. People in the business say say uke. Uke. So yeah. Um, I mean, I know maybe five chords and two strum patterns with ukulele, and that's about it. So so you can play the ukulele. So I can I can play, play the ukulele, guys. Yeah, so just surprised. just that, and yeah. not actual songs. I can just like. Man, you know, between between you playing the ukulele uh -huh. and Caleb playing the saxophone, yeah, I mean, you guys could go on the road with that. Answer. Yeah, man. Yeah, who doesn't want to hear yeah. a ukulele and a saxophone <laughs> blended together in perfect harmony? <laughs> oh, man. oh, that's good. That's yeah. good. Yeah, I, I was wanting to talk to you about. Did you ever read the? This is completely unrelated to saxophone and, and ukulele stuff. But did you ever read the Chronicles of Narnia? Yeah, it's been a long time. I had I never read them before. And I had, and I just, because I, they're kids' books, basically. Yeah. But, like, I had no idea how, like, kind of, like, violent they could get. Because oh, you yeah. have, like, Prince Edward, like, lopping off heads. And so, like, we've been, uh, so I was reading Harry Potter to Kayla at night uh -huh. before we went to bed. And, uh -huh. well, you say awe, but it actually caused some, some tension in our marriage. Because when when I was reading her the first two books, I had I had a different voice for each character. Okay, I've right, heard yeah, yeah, and that's awesome, right? Yeah, well, I at least so. I think it's awesome. And I put a lot of time and effort into each individual voice, and we get like maybe partway through either the second or third book, I can't remember. And she was just like, "Okay, I can't handle it anymore." And I was like, "What are you talking about?" And she's like, "I can't handle your voices." And I was like, so what two, are you talking about? Two and a half books I've in, been doing this. Yeah. You have committed to these, yeah, to these voices. Yeah. And like I, yeah, it, it hurt more than it probably should have. Wow. And so I was just like, well, you know what? We're switching to audiobooks. <laughs> and so we switched to, uh, we had to listen to the rest oh, of the Harry Potter books like, via audio. She and, really uh, stuck in there. What's that? I said she really stuck in there. Yeah. Well, okay. I'm enjoying it. I mean, two and a half books. I know. Well, she felt bad because she didn't want to hurt my feelings. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. But uh, it was, well, she said it was my Hagrid and my Dumbledore that really got to her. Ah, but in my okay. defense, have you have you read the Harry Potter books? I have to admit that I have, I, I've read the first two or three. Yeah. But then I'm just, I just saw the movies. Gotcha. Okay. Well, that's so that's all right. The answer to that is no. No. Well, I mean, our friendship took a hit right there, but it's okay. <laughs> uh, but, okay. So if you read Hagrid's bits... It's all written like he talks. Oh right, in like the like vernacular. Exactly. Like, yeah. yeah, and he and he's kind of like you know a rougher character and stuff. Right. Because he's like a big old giant woodland guy. Yeah. He's uh, gruff. Yeah, and so like that was really hard to read, and adding a extra voice on top of that, you know, I feel like she was just unappreciated. That's that's really oh. the. Oh. Just kidding. No, it. Well, it, I can't imagine how unbelievably annoying it probably was. So. Well, I think after. I think as a punishment for you for causing for calling your wife unappreciative, she was. We we should hear we should hear these voices. I want to hear your. Oh gosh. 
<laughs> I don't know. I, I retired him, man. Hackard hung up his, his umbrella. I just, I just need you to say, you're a wizard, Harry, in your voice. You're a wizard, Harry. Oh, oh. Josh, you put me on the spot. I hate you so I know, man. Right now. I gotta hear it. Yo, uh, man. Yo, wizard, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that was so good. I know, I know. Oh, I'm feeling so much joy like right now. I, I, I can't imagine why she she did not like oh that my voice for hours upon hours. <laughs> oh my gosh, that was so good. Yeah. That was so good. Right? I love you so much. Oh, I thought it was. Well, Kayla doesn't, so. Oh, but man. somebody does. Just kidding. <laughs> I love my wife. Oh, man. She makes me better and tells me to stop doing uh, stupid things. Gosh. Speaking of voices. Yeah. We, uh, have you been working on your new voice for your, uh, for your Star Wars DNA? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. So people listening will find out real quick how nerdy we actually are yeah. by just you asking that question. So as, as a preference, what, talk about what we're doing. Why yeah. are we creating voices? Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, so uh, with some friends back home, back back from my home in, in Knoxville, uh, we are doing like a uh, Star Wars Dungeons and Dragons kind of thing. Yes. And it's super nerdy, I know, but it's awesome at the same time. Very exciting. Uh, and so part of it is like, it's, it's one of those, like you try to stay in character kind of thing. And so if you're going to do, if you're going to have a character in this universe, you have to have a voice for your character and so I've been I've been trying to think of, of my yeah. voice and I may have been a little overconfident last night when I said that I had a voice because mm-hmm. I've been thinking about one but I, I don't know see I, I, I talked in several voices last night yeah it was super embarrassing oh really <laughs> like I've never done this before yeah and it's it's really hard yeah it's really difficult right, right. because in my mind it's like my character is this like darker kind of a loner kind of a guy um but and so in my mind he should have this like deep raspy voice but every time i do it like it somehow comes out as like this weird english accent like, <laughs> why am i speaking in an english accent i don't know and it's not even that good and then when i hear my own voice like on the podcast uh-huh. i'm like huh my voice is a lot higher pitched than i thought it was <laughs> That's so funny. I'm gonna have similar problems with mine. So yeah. my my character is like this, like really cool guy who uh-huh. does like really cool like cyber things, and like I'm the furthest thing from cool. And so I've been like trying to think of like how to do this cool voice, mm-hmm. and like it's just like I come out sounding like a idiot, and it's like, hey man, yeah, right, yeah. That. See, that's exactly it what was I was like, doing you just last stupid. night. Stop it. And I so I think. Even, like, just now, it has occurred to me, I think I've decided uh, to do, like, an Abed voice. Like, from Community? Yes. So, Troy and Abed. Yeah. Abed from the NBC show Community. Right. Um, he's sort of nerdy uh-huh. and talks really fast. Yeah. And his voice isn't particularly low. And uh, and I was thinking about even actually doing, like, a stutter. Yeah. Or, like, a... Like some type of like weird tick, like a like cool, 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 or like something like okay. that, you know? Right. So I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I'll, I'll see. Yeah, give me a sample. <sighs> you put me on the spot. It's your turn, sir. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Give me. Okay. Okay. Um. Uh. Uh. All right. <clears throat> Hello, traveler. Uh. <laughs> uh. Uh. My name is Eris Hundo of Latekis. And see, even now, I, I want to do a, a lower raspy voice, right, and I'm right. not doing it right. I, I've got to practice it. Sure. Hey, it's um, okay. It's, it's really, okay. Yeah, it, it's like this awkward thing that I do. I go low and raspy, but it's not like, it's that not typical. Good. For me. I feel like for me, it's yeah. going to end up being my normal voice. Sure. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just going to get louder <laughs> <laughs> and talk quicker. That's perfect. <laughs> like, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> hey, welcome, traveler. This is Arisundo from Latekas. <laughs> what? what? <laughs> you just got like this high energy, bit? super yeah, yeah, like excited. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Oh, that's gosh. so funny. Oh, man. Oh. I'm already very embarrassed after the first 15 minutes of this podcast. Nah, it's fine. We'll, we'll, we'll start talking about more like yeah. serious things so our voices will naturally go like deeper because we're talking about Deep. serious things. Smooth. Serious things. Smooth. But, uh, <laughs> but really... Uh, I guess yeah. We'll transition out of the out of the silly 
Yeah. Just being yeah. silly stuff. That was fun. Yeah. That was fun. Um, well, okay, so I think last podcast we talked about how we wanted to start, or maybe we didn't talk about it. I can't remember. Just in case we didn't, Ethan and I have been talking a lot about how we want to be deeper thinkers. We want to read more and we want to, I don't know, just uh, just have deeper thoughts about things and, right. and go dig further down than just the surface of whatever it is we're reading or whatever it is we're thinking about. And I know that sounds really vague, but it's it's having that mindset has actually changed a lot of things. You know, it's changed how I read. It's changed how I look at scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's even, honestly, it's even tra- changed my, my prayer life too, because it's so easy to have just the surface level prayer life where you don't really go any further than simply just, you know, putting your requests before the Lord. And that's right. kind of where it stays. Um, you don't really go deep down into the issues that you really have, or you don't go even even deep into praising God for the things that he's done, for the the for the God that he is. Mm-hmm. And so just having that mindset of just wanting to go deeper in everything has, has been awesome. But that being said, you and I have started reading this book yes. called The Coddling of the American Mind. And one of the things that you have to know about this book is that it's not a Christian book. It kind of, uh, well, it's, I don't know, there's like some curse words in it when they're like quoting people or something like that. It's written. That's how you know it's not a Christian book. That's how, yeah, <laughs> there's curse words in it. You know it's not. You know it's by them heathens. Just kidding. But, uh, um, but uh, it, it's, it's a fascinating book. And I was, I've been wondering what like your thoughts on it was. Because I, I introduced it to you after hearing about it from like, Ben Shapiro or something like that. Yeah, so um, so I didn't have a chance to read through the introduction. Uh, you had mentioned that the introduction was really good. I had some limited time this morning, so I was like, well, I'm just going to hit go straight into chapter one. Um, being the untruth of fragility, what mm-hmm. doesn't kill you makes you weaker. And I was like, what the heck does, what, what does that even mean? So so he starts the chapter with with making sort of with describing the peanut allergy yeah right um and how oh well here hold on let, let me give like a quick like synopsis of the book real fast oh yeah go so, for it. sorry about that i didn't mean to cut you off um so the the idea of this book is that um uh, so for like the last five years there's been a kind of a shift on college campuses uh towards uh overprotection of its students um, so kind of like a like the universities needing to coddle these students um, mm-hmm. who are you know just a little bit younger than millennials, but I think it's this kind of applies to millennials. Yeah. They too. call them Gen I, Generation Internet. Yeah, uh, it was like kids born after ninety five. I think that's how he described it. Right. Yeah. yeah exactly. Um, but I, I think a lot of this book applies to millennials too. Yeah. Um, but specifically the generation right after millennials. Um, but, uh, so it's talking about this overprotection and it's talking about how basically our children are growing up with this almost victim mentality that they're victims that need to be protected. And so that's kind of what all of this book is about, how, um, these universities are shifting towards that, how these, uh, college aged kids are starting to see themselves as victims and that need protect, uh, needing protecting. So anyway, sorry, all of that to say, um, that's kind of the over view of this book. So anyway, continue. Yeah. P- peanut allergy. Totally. So so chapter one, uh, yeah, so it starts with, you know, he, he's, he tells the story of back in, I think it's like the 90s, the mid-90s, when I was a toddler, like kids were um, having increased number of peanut allergies that, that people were noticing, doctors, scientists, whoever. And so in response to that, um, they actually started, uh, like in daycares and other places saying, you know, don't bring any peanut products, anything that were made in a factory with peanut products, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And they found that, uh, the problem was like getting worse. Um, and so they did this study, um, where they took a bunch of kids and for some of the kids, they exposed them to some peanut products. And for the other kids, they just did what they can, what they were doing before, where they were just keeping them sort of pulled away, you know, no peanut products at all. And the kids who had been exposed had fewer allergies, um, which as we now know, I mean, that's, that's the concept of vaccinations. Mm-hmm. You know, you give vaccines 
uh, to young children to expose their immune system to these bugs in lower, in you know, safe levels so that their immune system can build a response. Right. So they don't have these allergies as they get older. And, uh, and, and so what was really interesting uh, is how he talks, how, how he uses that as a metaphor for sort of what's happening in this people group um, mm-hmm. in young adults who, you know, young college-age students. Um, I, I think another way he described it was uh, kids starting, starting college around 2013. So approximately right. five years ago. Right. Um, so even now, these are young adults out of college, mm-hmm. you know, working out in the world. But um, them having this idea of sort of protecting the safetyism uh, mm-hmm. idea of, of um, sort of protecting my own thoughts and feelings from these outside things that may cause mental, emotional, social trauma. Yeah. Um, yeah, and what, one of the things that I thought was interesting when he was like describing the, the peanut allergy, he said that it kind of leads into this thing called the hygiene hypothesis, mm. where as countries get richer, their allergens start to increase. And, you know, a big part of that is because, well, things are just cleaner. And right. so if right. you're just constantly surrounded by clean, the smallest allergies will like set, will the, the smallest allergen rather will just, you know, set off your allergies. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things that, that I found really fascinating was the quote from this guy named uh, Nassim Talib, who is a statistician. Yes. And so when he was kind of connecting this with the kids in college, he said that often parents and even I think even the kids themselves, um, and I say kids, but like even people our age. Right. Um, and we'll kind of get where this connects with uh, Christianity. But we often see ourselves or we see kids as just little weak candles, right? Mm-hmm. Where any gust of wind might blow them out. But in reality, they're not that. They are, you know, they're like fires. They're like bonfires where gusts of wind don't, doesn't blow them out. It just makes them stronger and bigger. Right. And so when adversity comes their way, instead of constantly thinking that children are these fragile little, you know, glass figurines um, that will break, upon you know the winds of adversity or they'll be snuffed out upon the winds of adversity they're not that at all it, the all of this adversity will actually help them grow and that's where it connects with this like you were saying with the peanut allergy you know when these children are exposed to adversity and different ways of thinking it won't break them it will cause them to grow and become you know better people absolutely um, because their their fundamental axioms or their fundamental um presuppositions or beliefs uh, will be strengthened because they will be challenged. And like you said, it, it started going into like the safetyism thing. And not only that, I found this interesting too. Uh, he was talking about how the safetyism led into uh, people believing that speech started to be looked at in terms of being dangerous and causing trauma. Right. And I think that is, that's kind of a terrifying thing. Yeah. Because yeah. if people think that what you say can cause them actual like harm, mental harm, right? And see that as the exact same as uh, physical harm, then that's a big deal, right? That's well, a huge deal. And that was something that uh, sort of referencing what you just got to there about the trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was really interesting how he talks about that the concept of uh, I, believe, I think he called it concept creep. Yeah, um, where this concept of, for instance, trauma. Um, you know, uh, early on, uh, trauma was defined more objectively, right? Like physical trauma, or or something that was objectively awful, like someone uh, being raped or tortured, that kind of stuff, right? Um, but it's sort of crept downward mm-hmm. um, to uh, like sort of the social idea of. People are using the word trauma mm-hmm. for uh, things that are just more like social stressors. Right. And uh, it was interesting. One one of the lines in the book said that it went from like professionals using the word trauma to the patients using using the word trauma yeah. and uh, and students using word trauma um, and and sort of that idea, like you say, sort of being taken 
from this medical uh, objective side mm-hmm. into this social subjective side uh, and, and, and into this sort of idea that words and ideas can be traumatizing to me because of the way I feel about it. Yeah, and that's where, um, oh, you, you were talking about it. it. It mentions it in the book, but I can't exactly remember it. The Brown yes. issue oh, where... Yes. Brown University. Yeah, Brown University had these two speakers come about... Uh, and to talk about rape culture, and one was, and there were two women, and one yeah. was. I have it. I have it right here. So oh, I you can, do. I can fill in some gaps. Oh for yeah, you sure, perfect. Have, I want yeah. you to. You keep going. I'm running on my brain power, which is not good. So, <laughs> uh, but uh, so it was by the speech was given by two different women. Yeah. Two, um, so two feminist authors, Wendy yeah. McElroy and Jessica Valenti. Right, and is it McElroy? Yeah, uh, Mc- who was McElroy. against it, saying that. America is not a rape culture because rape cultures look like, um, you know, certain countries in the Middle East where if a woman's raped, then it's, you know, basically her fault and she gets, uh, you know, jailed for it or ostracized and things like that. And right, that's a rape right. culture. Where, whereas the other lady was making the point of uh, her, her argument was that misogyny is endemic to American culture um, and in such a world, sexual assault is considered a lesser crime. Um, so it's more like accepted. Right. Yeah. And so, okay, for you listening, whichever side that you land on, that's a completely separate conversation that we can have, because I definitely have thoughts and opinions about that. Right. But that's not really the point. Um, The point is with McElroy, the one who disagreed and saying that American culture wasn't, Brown University and a, a lot of the students there found it so offensive that somebody could even be against the idea of America being a rape culture that the school had to set up these safe spaces, which has almost become, you know, kind of a joke in a lot of conservative circles, right. but a reality in a lot of these campuses. Yeah. Um, and even a lot of, uh, there's a bunch of different um, businesses that have these two now. But in these safe spaces were very childish things. Did you notice that? Yeah. Because it was describing these, uh, these safe spaces of ha- as having Play-Doh to play with, um, comfy like uh, like beanbag chairs and all these different things that it, it was basically for a child. It was really strange. Yeah. So uh, the room was. This is this is the quote from the book. The mm-hmm. room. So there was a safe space room, uh, and quote the room was equipped with cookies, coloring books, bubbles, play doh, calming music, pillows, blankets, and a video of frolicking puppies. Right. As well as students and staff members purportedly. Um, trained to deal with trauma. Right. And that sounds honestly funny in a way because that's very childish things right. to to have for these kids that are, you know, between 18 and what, 22, 23? Yeah. Well, well, something, and even before they set up, uh, and, and I hate to backtrack, but before they set up the, the uh, uh, safe space room mm-hmm. in this whole situation, um, it says that uh, the, the students were bound actually attempted to get McElroy disinvited right. from this whole even debate. Yeah. And they weren't able to do that, so she still came. But the president of the university actually came out and and said that she agreed with the other lady mm-hmm. and that and and then the president sort of made this announcement that we're gonna have safe spaces right. on campus. Right. Um, which is just so interesting. You know, mm-hmm. I, I feel like especially Late high school into college is when you're really figuring out, as a person, what you believe, mm-hmm. what, you, what you really think about things, even even within the faith. You know, all, all of us have, have, well, I say all of us. I, I can really only speak for myself and for you, because I know about you, Michael. Mm-hmm. But for us who have been raised in the church, even, you know, when we get to that point, there are things where, you know, there are questions that we have where we're like, well, why do I believe what I believe? And where I do, where do I stand on these topics that, you know, aren't necessarily black and white? Both, you know, there's this or there's that. Um, and so it's just really interesting that instead of sort of working through that mental process and coming out on the other end, sort of a, a stronger, more foundational of a person. Right. Um, Students now are, are more like, they're almost regressing back to childlike things. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's just. No, I totally agree. And I think this whole chapter was summed up and this whole idea was summed up in 
a quote from one of the girls who went to this safe space uh, because of this thing. And, and the quote goes like this. Uh, she says, I was feeling bombarded by a lot of views that really go against my dearly and closely held beliefs. And so she was running to this safe space so that her, her beliefs wouldn't get challenged. Right. And I, I think I, I just find that you know, fascinating. And honestly, and, and we can start switching over to our next, next topic because I think it leads perfectly into that. Um, I think that this book could have easily been renamed The Coddling of the American Church. Oh, yeah, totally. Because I think a lot of these things, a lot of these things that are being talked about in this chapter, at least in this chapter, um, we haven't really gotten much further than that, but I'm sure more of the book will uh, line up with kind of the church as well. But a lot of people, they don't want to get out of their Christian circles in order to talk with unbelievers. I think very much because of the reason why that girl said that she wanted to go to the safe space. Right. Because they don't want their fundamental beliefs to be challenged mm -hmm. because they are afraid that it will it'll rock their faith. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. And like I've been there. Yeah, and, and yeah me too. And still in, in certain situations, I still have those feelings, you know, which is why I'm not out there sharing my faith every single day. Mm -hmm. You know, absolutely. I can understand that. Right, you know? right. But does that mean that, you know, we just sort of continue in that cycle? You know, I don't think so. Well, I think it. I think that a lot of Christians who you know obviously go against this need to lead by example for one, and actually totally. get out there and uh, do things that isn't just another Bible study. It's not just another ministry that focuses on ministering to people who are already believers, but actually start getting involved in the world in which they are in. Right. Um, I, I saw this quote. I can't remember who it's from. Oh man, that drives me. Crazy. I need to start writing these things down. But anyway, I saw a pink, quote. Pink Power Ranger. The pink, <laughs> the pink Power Ranger said one time <laughs> uh, that um, Jesus dined with sinners, but he didn't sin with sinners. Yeah. Um, and Jesus was in the world, but he wasn't of the world. Yeah. Um, and that sounds like a very you know kind of cliche thing, but it, it's very serious at the same time because right. we are supposed to be in the world with sinners, not sinning with sinners, but being a part of their lives intentionally in order to share our faith with them, share our beliefs with them. Totally. Um, but I think a lot of people in the church are just like, uh, what What was his name, Nassim? Nassim Tlaib, what he was talking about. Tlaib, yeah. Tlaib, yeah. What he was talking about with being uh, a fragile candle. Um, I think a lot of Christians see themselves that way. Right. They think that, um, that yes, they're supposed to be a light, I mean, because Matthew 5 talks about how we are supposed to be a light to the world. Mm -hmm. But that light is just this very weak candle that when the winds of adversity comes, they'll be snuffed out. And so they want to protect their beliefs, their preciously held beliefs. And so they will put a basket over that light. Right. And, and, and not interact with the world around them. Mm -hmm. But in reality, that light is like that, is like that bonfire. You know, it's right. when our faith is... If our faith is is weak enough to uh, be snuffed out by even the slightest winds of adversity, then, then we need to do some praying. We have another problem. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right. And so right. we need to start seeing ourselves like that. We need to start seeing ourselves as the bonfire and recognizing yeah. that uh, that Jesus does not call us to comfortability. He doesn't call us to um, emotional safety. Yeah. He calls us to be to be radical and and to leap into the wind. And that that wind he will use to grow us yeah. and grow us closer to him. And not only that, but to use us as instruments to save people. Right. Like, and I feel like we don't, we often don't feel the gravity of that because the gospel is the power to actually save people for eternity. And, and we want to hide that because we're afraid of these light breezes. Right, right. We, we take that really lightly. And it's... <laughs> I almost started laughing because I I couldn't help but think of uh, and I, I pulled it up here while you were talking, but James one, you know, uh, at the very beginning, count it all joy, my brothers, yeah, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you right. know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Right. It's the same. Ex I mean, it's a biblical yeah. concept. Yeah, absolutely. You know? um, yeah. Uh, it's it's just. Really cool to see how it really ties back. Yeah, know? yeah. And that's why I find 
books like this kind of fascinating because you will see godly principles or godly truth rather mm-hmm. can't be hidden because all truth is from God. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting when you see these kernels of truth, these nuggets of, of God's truth kind of being stumbled upon by those in the secular world. Right. Because I, as far as I know, the two authors of this book, they're not Christians. And so, but th- for them to have kind of stumbled upon this, like, no, we're not fragile. We're, we're, you know, we're, we're these bonfires that grow with adversity. Like that's, like you said, that's a very biblical, biblical thought that way predates 2000 and what, 18 or 19, whenever this book was published. Right. And it's just, it's really interesting and to see how, you know, these, these truths crop up. Yeah, totally. Um, I, and uh, I thought about something else that the book mentioned that was interesting. Um, so again, it, they're talking about these, they call them iGen, um, which is the inter- internet generation, mm-hmm. children born around 1995 and after. But um, they were talking about a, um, a psychologist at San Diego State University named Jean Twinge. Um, and they say that uh, Twinge shows, so she did a study, um, and it said Twinge shows that iGen suffers from far higher rates of anxiety and depression than did millennials at the same age and higher rates of suicide. Uh, something is going on, something has changed the childhood experience of kids born in the late 90s. Uh, Twinge focuses on the rapid growth of both social media and when the iPhone was introduced and it's just very interesting um, to see, yeah, when when we sort of live as these little candles and these little uh, uh, sort of this idea of being fragile, it just brings more fragility. Yeah, right, like, right. Yeah. Yeah, because I think it's like they said, I mean, we when we view ourselves as fragile, I think we almost go out of our way to find things that will break us. Mm. And it, it, it's funny because Kayla and I, so like we, we like fitness things. We like to go and work out and stuff. And yeah. we like to kind of look into that, all that mumbo jumbo. But she was looking at this, um, like this Pilates girls, like Instagram or something like that. And mm-hmm. uh, she's got like a lot of like fitness advice and stuff on it. And then she'll, every now and then she'll do uh, like little funny cartoons and stuff. Like, um, I, I don't know what what it was like when it was like when other people do cardio and and it was like um showing like the person was barely sweating and then like when but when i do cardio and like just like like drenched in sweat or something like that right um and then scrolling down into the comments it like people were offended about that because it was talking about how like the ideal is to not sweat when you work out and look glistening and all that kind of just crazy nonsense and people were offended by that cartoon. And it's like, you really have to go out of your way to be offended by some of this stuff. Right. And if you view yourself as that fragile, that you can be hurt by these things, then then your identity is so warped and wrapped up into this victim status that, that it's almost as if you're trying to be hurt. Uh, and, and it's a weird phenomena that I just, I don't fully understand. Yeah, I don't either. Uh, it's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm I'm excited to see what else this book talks about and, yeah, and how too. it relates to to Christianity because this chapter was like, oh, man. Like, again, like I said, it can be it could easily be retitled as the coddling of the American church. Yeah, yeah. One well, even just after reading the first chapter, I was like, man, I feel like I just read a whole book. Right. Like, there's so much really good information. Yeah, dude. yeah, absolutely. Whoa. But uh, and that kind of so you sent me an article this last week that was super interesting and really depressing at the same time <laughs> and ties in perfectly with this, with this, uh, with this chapter. It totally does. Um, and, uh, the first article was from relevant magazine. Um, uh, but then I, I didn't necessarily read that one very much. I went to, um, like the source, I went to the source. Yeah. yeah. So give a rundown of what that article said. If you don't mind. Yeah, sure. So uh, it's titled, uh, so this is from Relevant Magazine. They're a Christian sort of cultural magazine. Shout out to them. They're really awesome. Relevant podcast is great too. But so the title of this article um, was called uh, Report. 47% of Christian millennials believe believe evangelism is wrong. And so they uh, cited um, this study by Barna, uh, which is apparently uh, like 
It's a pretty well-known... Common, well-known Christian study? Uh, it's actually not Christian. Oh, it's not Christian. I oh, think okay. it's... Um, I think maybe some Christians work there, but I think it... it and I could be wrong, so more like a feel free to fact check me. No, I think it's just a... Um, oh, what's the word for it? I, uh, people who do surveys. It's okay. like a, a big survey platform that does okay. a lot of na- nationwide surveys. Gotcha, gotcha. So... Um, the, uh, so the article, um, pretty much just summarizes the research, um, uh, and, and sort of the goal of this was to just sort of get an idea about what millennials believe about their faith and the gospel and sharing the gospel in general. And then they sort of compare the millennial age group with some older age groups and sort of compare the data. So uh, from the report, um, this is a quote, uh, it said, uh, almost half of millennials, being 40%, agree that at least, uh, agree at least somewhat that it is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share the same faith, which apparently is, is so they compared it to Generation X, um, boomers, and elders. So those are kind of the age groups looking backwards. Right. Um, and they're like crazy higher. Um, the numbers are. Yeah. Uh, was it forty percent or forty-seven percent? I may um, have written down the wrong number. So uh, the relevant article cited forty-seven percent. Right. Um, yeah. Say that it's somewhat wrong to share share their faith. Right. Hoping that other people will believe that faith as well. Yeah. Right. There. There was another one that is forty forty percent. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so yeah, so forty-seven percent say that it is somewhat wrong to share their faith, and like that—that's a terrifying prospect. Yeah. So yeah. that means people our age, half of us who are who are you know Jesus professing Bible professing Christians say that it is actually wrong to evangelize. Right. And and I wonder and why I wanted I was really kind of not excited because that's not something to be excited about, but I was kind of excited when I was reading this book. Uh, and then you sent me that article. I was like, that that fits, honestly. Absolutely. Uh, because if, okay, going back to that girl who who saw it as almost violence, uh, as it's trauma, getting her beliefs challenged mm-hmm. enough so to need to go to a safe space. Mm-hmm. Then if if that is what many millennials think, if that's what a lot of generation I think, then it makes sense for young Christians. Christians our age to think that it is cruel to share our faith to to challenge the beliefs of others with yeah. Christianity in order to um, you know hopefully that they become Christians as well right well and and something that uh, the relevant uh, I, I don't think the relevant article mentioned this um, but it is the the other forty percent number um, actually uh, the statement was, um, that forty percent of millennials um, believe or agree with the statement. If someone disagrees with you, it means they're judging you. Oh, right. Yeah. So I, I think that's probably where sort of the why behind the other statement. Exactly. You know, like they don't want to be judgmental. Right. Or you know that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, which yeah. is really crazy. I will say though, um, from from a medical perspective. In medical school and in residency, we do article like reviews, um, and so we'll get together and each person will get an article um, of some medical type, and we'll go through the article, read it, kind of give a summary, and then essentially say, is it, is this article good? Meaning, like, is the data relevant to us? Is it you know, is it a powerful enough study that we should take it seriously or was it done with like 10 people? So it really doesn't mean that much, that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Um, And so they did include some of the, some of the information here that I thought was really interesting. Sure. If you don't mind me sharing. Yeah. Um, So research for the study included two nationally representative uh, studies of United States adults. The first was conducted using an online panel with 992 practicing Christians. A similar study, so the second study was conducted online with a nationally representative study of uh, 1,001 U.S. adults who did not meet the criteria for practicing Christians. I don't know what their criteria for practicing Christians was. Yeah, I wonder what that was. Um, But overall, I I guess the point that I'm making here was technically it was only... 
between these two studies, it was only 1,993 people. Gotcha. I mean, of the, all of the United States. Right. So right. 47% of that and 40% of that sure. are high numbers, but... I'm it's just, hard to know how I'm, representative of that is. I'm of, just curious. Yeah, right, yeah. You know. And it's it would be interesting, too, to know, <clears throat> I guess, where exactly those Christians are from demographically. Right. Uh, right. Or not demographically, but geographically. Right. Um, Bible Belt, Northeast, Pacific Northwest, you know, Midwest. You know, yeah, yeah where exactly. Where are these folks from? Right, right, right. But honestly, I mean, and I'm, I'm making generalizations based off of uh, I guess, you know, experiences of talking with some Christians and things like that. But mm-hmm. but not only that, but also kind of the political landscape that we have right now. Right. Um, where, not necessarily political, but the cultural landscape. Uh, so the Barna article, the actual, you know, the source, it talked about how, you know, this isn't very surprising because we are in a culture right now that often it devalues having conversations that highlight differences. Right. And you kind of see that in, in the tribalization that has happened between kind of the left and the right. You know, if you are on you know the left, then you don't want anything that has to do with the right. And you don't want to have conversations uh, about the things that make us different so that we can, you know, work together to strive towards something um, that is something to where we can work together, basically. Right. And I think that definitely goes along with religion, too, because, I mean, people don't want to have they just. They constantly want to be, like the book said, they want to be coddled and to have their beliefs affirmed constantly mm-hmm. in these echo chambers. Right. And so the thought of having these conversations that highlight that, you know, you believe something totally different than I, and yet we can have a conversation is right. almost completely out of the realm of possibility for, for so many people, or at least people who you know, keep up with, you know, politics and all that. Right. Uh, yeah. All that stuff. And I, and I can't help but think... <laughs> Can we not just bring back debate class in schools? Right. You know, um, I mean, truly, because sure, like I, I absolutely understand the uncomfortable feeling when someone says something, even if it's not directed towards you, but they say something that is 100% the other, the opposite of what you believe. Right. Um, like it's uncomfortable. And, uh, but having, the training and having the experience of of having a a dialogue with someone uh, who completely disagrees, yeah, that's still respectful on both sides. Um, it's just something that doesn't happen right. these days. Like, yeah. and especially with social media, it's just it tends to be an echo chamber. I see you looking around your your <laughs> your chair right now. Yeah, sorry. Like, yeah, sorry. I feel like you're looking No, I didn't forget. Well, I had like a, a quick little like note written down on my phone and I realized that I I dropped my phone and I can't I can't reach you it. Can't and reach I keep it. trying and no, I keep funny. realizing that more and more I can't reach it. So anyway, sorry, sorry about Will that. you talk for a second and then I can come and be your phone. Oh, okay, perfect. Got it. Ready? Go. Go. All right. So, uh yeah, I think you know kind of kind of along those lines. During the uh, introduction of the book, it talks about how there's this concept called emotional reasoning. And thank you. Uh, and I'm back. And you're back. And this concept of emotional reasoning is when somebody is approached with a, uh, a new idea that hurts their feelings, their first response is to just wholeheartedly jump into that feeling and trust it. And what emotional reasoning is is that they take that emotion, they like I said, they latch onto it, and then they bend reason and logic around that emotion that to fit and to um, to affirm that emotion. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people do that, and I do that too. I mean, I do that when my wife and I argue. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I have this feeling, and I will bend the facts as much as I can in order to you know win this argument to right. affirm my hurt feeling or something Absolutely. stupid like that. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, but it. it in the intro, too, and I think this is another interesting biblical principle, it talks about the flash, um, the flash of emotion that you get when you first hear this, this thing that goes against your fundamental belief. And the question is asked, well, what are you going to do during that flash? Are you going to latch on to that first kind of primal emotion right. and bend reason and logic to fit that? Or are you going to instead take time and think about that emotion and think about the facts that have been presented to you and decide whether or not your emotion is reasonable. 
So oh, instead yeah. of bending reason logic around the emotion, you're you're molding your emotion around your around reason and logic. Yeah. And honestly, I think that man that that thought has so many different applications because uh, one that takes that takes not only self awareness mm-hmm. but also a lot of self discipline. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it's it's ultimately and again, it's interesting that that the people in the secular world kind of stumble upon this. But that's ultimately rooted in scripture. It's rooted mm-hmm. in Proverbs, where it's uh, talking about being slow to anger, and, uh, and and that's an unbelievably important principle. Because when we are slow to anger, uh, we are kind of taking that that time to recognize: Are we right? Are we being reasonable and logical over our first primal emotion? And not only that, but um, it kind of applies to you know scripture as well. You know, are we warping our reason and logic? Or no, sorry, are we warping scripture around our emotions mm-hmm. or are we wrapping our emotions around scripture? Right. Um, and so that that goes in a lot of different ways. That's good. I mean, I, I, I feel like we're at a stopping point here. So I feel like this would be a good place to sort of wrap up for this week. Yeah, totally. Um, I want to keep talking and we absolutely can next time. Next time. On Dragon Ball Z. Sorry. That's <laughs> what I think about every time I say next time. Oh, man, that's um, really Next time on the True Fidel podcast. Right. We, we need that guy who does that voice at the end of Dragon Ball Z yes. to do that voice. You think we can afford to hire him out? Nope. But uh, maybe one day. Maybe uh, an email. Yeah. Well, actually, speaking of that, um, we have launched our Patreon page, um, which for those of you who don't know, Patreon is another way that you guys can support us. Um, like we said, Truth for Doubt is a ministry that does more than just this podcast. Um we have a uh, an apologetics uh, 2D animated video coming out that helps explain what apologetics is, and we want to make more of those for different apologetic arguments. Um, and we also, not only that, but we have online classes that you can go and sign up for that we want to make more of. Um, there's a lot of different moving parts to Truth for Doubt, and we want to keep that content going. And not only that, but um, Truth for Doubt ministry is is reaching across seas as well. We have uh, some missionaries in Romania who are helping out with this ministry too, um, and using our resources to to reach to reach the unbelievers there as well. And so we want to keep this content coming. Uh, we need your help doing that. So if you want to support us, you can go to our Patreon page, and it is Patreon.com/t4d. And the link to that will also be in the description to this podcast. Um, if you want to give another way, you can also give through Contact Mission USA, and you can find out how to do that at uh, truthfordoubt.com slash give. Um, you can support us monthly, or you can do a one-time donation. If you do it through, I will say, if you do it through Contact Mission, it is tax-deductible. If you do it through Patreon, it's not. But with Patreon, you get a few extra goodies as well, including perks, some perks and merch and stuff. So depending on how much you give per month, uh, you can either uh, enter into being able to ask us questions that we will answer on the podcast at a special Q&A time during the podcast. And, uh, and yeah, the more you give, the more different things that you can do as well. So just go to patreon.com slash T4D to check that out. And uh, thank you for listening. Did I did I cut you off? I feel like I may have cut you off. No, not at all. That up. was great. Awesome. Cool. All right. Well, we will end it here. Till next time. Thank you, guys.